Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Well, Darren and I have both been a little bit on hiatus for a while with Christmas and everything else. And I, I, I will tell you, just last week, I spent a bunch of time talking to some of the head people in some of the biggest manufacturing, ag chemical manufacturing companies in the world. I met with six different ones last week alone. Just because I'm trying to get more of the inside story on what's going on with supply and everything else. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, before we do, I, I just want to tell you, hey, if you've got any questions, today is your day. We've got plenty of time today to talk through anything that's happening on your farm. Just give us a call here. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Otherwise, Darren and I well, are going to answer your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag just shortly. You're right you about that, though, Brian. There, there's so many questions right now about, okay, my dealer says he can't get this product, but he's got three alternatives that he says are pretty equivalent, and I just yeah, haven't used fine. them before. Yeah. And so there's tons of questions. So if you're at home and you're thinking like that, or maybe it's, hey, you know what? I normally get this blend of fertilizer. I can't get that this year. I can't get that specific product. Now, which ones can I use? There, there are a lot of choices. Oh, there's going to be fertilizer available. I'm not worried about it, nor am I worried about the egg chem thing. I mean, yes, there are going to be certain products that are tight or just flat out out, but there's going to be product. Now, you're not going to like the price, and that's part of why there's going to be product around. A lot of people have been saying, oh, Roundup and Liberty, it's so short, and I'm going, no, no, no. By spring, there's going to be all kinds of Roundup and Liberty because so many people myself included, are saying, yeah, I'm not paying that price. I'm not going to buy one gallon of Liberty this year. I'm not going to pay that price. I don't want to spend $25 an acre for one shot of Liberty. I can buy seven herbicides together, all seven of them, for the same money. Why in the world would I buy one for $25? But anyway, uh, again, if you've got any questions, you can call us. Otherwise, just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we will talk through soil and plant micronutrient issues on the show today. Let me tell you real quick my, my, my quick summary from meeting with all these ag chem manufacturers last week is this. First of all, I think the number is 72% of U.S. ag chem that gets used by farmers comes out of China. 72%. So when we have logistical issues, we have manufacturing issues, we have trade issues going on with China, well, then we're just subject to, we got a problem. Now, the good thing is there was so much inventory that was already brought in last spring, summer, and this fall to get ready for 2022. We're in really good shape. So most retailers, they're fine. It's it's not that big. Yeah, stuff's going to be tight, but I'm just saying there will be enough product out there to get things treated this season. That part will be okay. So anyway, one of the manufacturers I was talking to. And let me just put this in. So when Darren and I first started doing Ag PhD TV, our dad had a little segment on the show for the first year. So this is a long time ago, back in 1998. And, and anyway, I always used to tell people, that's just the entertainment portion of the show. He's going to talk about grain marketing. So I'm just trying to say it, you don't listen to Anything that he's saying in terms of using that information to now make a decision on your farm, it's purely for entertainment. So this, uh, for the next minute or two, I will explain to you, is purely entertainment. And whether or not it's actually real, I don't know 100% for sure. But I do know this chemical manufacturer and this head guy who is really super knowledgeable and has 
unbelievable connections. He's perhaps the most knowledgeable person I know in our entire industry about that side of things, about the ag chem manufacturing. This is what he told me. He goes, well, you know, this our whole problem with this ag chemical deal really started because of COVID and some nuclear submarines. And I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, here's what happened. With China, they obviously COVID originated there. And Australia accused them of have you know not containing it well enough and so they wanted some kind of investigation well anyway at the same time china had some nuclear submarines near australia and australia got mad about that china then got mad at australia and basically australia was by far and away the number one importer for coal or their their coal is what powered chinese energy and china decided to ban Australian coal. And so they're bringing coal in from other places, like they get a lot from Indonesia, for example. Well, now they've got things worked out with Russia and some other places. So they're they're getting mostly back online again. But there was legitimately an energy crisis there. And there are certain products that were made over in China that we just couldn't get because of the energy crisis. And then the other thing is this, when energy is intermittent, manufacturing plants are built to start and run like continuously 24 7 they have to run all the time it's the start up and the shutdown where you have tremendous risk and he was just explaining look a lot of the companies that we work with over in china they had manufacturing catastrophes fatalities and everything else because they had to start up and shut down from time to time because this energy issue so he said then that kicked them out of that much more production so anyway he feels like we're going to be back in good shape once we get through the Olympics and all this other stuff. And so by the middle of next year, manufacturing production around the world should be pretty good. Yeah, we got some logistical issues we got to work through, like boats sitting on the port for two weeks out in uh, in Los, Los Angeles. <clears throat> but anyway, we'll get through a lot of that stuff. Okay, uh, so again, we're going to talk soil and plant micronutrient issues. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Also, Brian, I just wanted to point out, we've got less than a minute here before we take a break. Uh, I know. we got time for one question. Fire away. All right. This is from Darwin. He said, uh, my my question for you on the fields that we're liming, is that going to increase my cation exchange capacity or change my CEC in any way? I don't really know why it would. It's not changing your clay or your organic matter. So, no, I don't think it's going to change your cation exchange capacity. Now, if it does, if it shows up different on your test, let us know. But it's, I, I can't imagine that that's going to change anything, at least in the short term. Long term, you've got to build soil organic matter if you want your CEC to go up. But it is certainly going to change some things out there. Putting that much calcium out often ties up some of the micronutrients. We'll talk more about micronutrients on a couple other questions that we've got in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up after this. Stay tuned. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. We're talking about soil and plant micronutrient issues, and this is always an interesting topic. We were just chatting uh, earlier and answering a question about somebody that's going to put on a bunch of lime on their ground. And I know from experience on our farm, when we put a bunch of lime on, it can tie up micronutrients, at least for the short term. And you've really got to be aware of that and, and be getting micronutrients out there and feeding that plant as you go through this. The challenge is if you're broadcasting lime and laying it on top of the ground or lightly tilling it in, broadcasting micronutrients right after, it's probably not your best bet. I, I would think the, uh, the idea of banding and keeping them a little more concentrated, a little closer to the root, at least for a year or so, would, would play into getting more nutrients into your plant. There's lots of different ways to feed micronutrients in, though. We've got uh, another expert on this, Bo Shropshire, out in California. He's a consultant out there. Bo, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good, Brian. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing well. Uh, we're talking about micronutrients. Oh, Sorry about that. That's, that's okay. Hey, that's pretty good. You you caught that really quick, Bo. You know, a lot of times I can go through 10 minutes talking to somebody and they're still calling me Brian. So I appreciate that. Hey, uh, talk about these micronutrients. And we just had a question come in about, okay, I wanted to put on a bunch of lime. And and I, I know we've seen this on our farm too. We put out a bunch of lime in one big shot because it's generally, oh, we're going to put a few tons of lime out there. Micronutrients are putting on just a few pounds, so that that seems like a, a recipe for some trouble. Well, yeah, now, you know, if, are you putting the micronutrients you're talking about are soil applied stuff? Yeah, well, I just look at it like this: we've already got the micronutrients out there, but now the one change we're making is putting on a bunch of lime. And how right. do you how do you combat the the tie up with just that large amount of calcium? Is it banding? Is that the best way, or foliar? Well, you know, I really never had a problem as far as that goes because what happens is, you know, for me is as soon as that lime, you know, it's not all going to it's not all going to cut loose at one time. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a lot of material. It's not a lot of material. I mean, it's, you know, you, when you're talking about three or four tons or something like that, but 
you know, depending on the, and depending on the quality of the lime, you know, now if it's a really fine grind lime, we've had, we have some organic lime out here that's, that's 50% through a 200 mesh screen. Okay. So it's almost like talcum powder. Wow. Now that stuff's going to release really quickly. But, you know, if we had like a four ton normal requirement, we would probably only put on about three ton of that. But so, you know, we'll just go less because it's going to react so quickly. But even so, you know, it's not all going to turn loose at once. And once that uh, lime starts to turn loose, you'll start to find that you'll actually wind up with higher, higher levels of micronutrients than you had before. Because it's going to unlock a lot of stuff. I mean, you're going to have a little tie-up for a long, you know a short period of time, but then you're going to start to see some stuff really start to come loose. You know, we have a lot of iron out here that's tied up all the time. I've got stuff that'll show one, two, three parts per million of iron at uh, you know at the six-inch level. Well, obviously that's really, really super low. Yes. Now you know we've got iron from down below, but you start getting those calcium levels up and all of a sudden you'll have iron show up that didn't show up before. I mean, I've had levels come up a hundred, 125 parts per million in a one year shot of putting on a three ton pop of lime. Really? So, you know, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you start to get, and depending on the soil types, you know, as to, as to what you've got there, you know, I mean, down here we deal with a lot of sodium, so if we're able to get that sodium down by, you know, getting that calcium number up and getting that, uh, and with drainage, with Brian's help, you know, make, not, make sure everybody understands the drainage. That, uh, he you get he that never talks about that, Bo, does he? No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not even going to let Brian get on his microphone because otherwise we'll get going on that, that uh, <laughs> chase here for a little while. Well, you know, and it's interesting as you talk about this, Bo, and, and we've got a lot of our listeners that would say they're, they're relatively novice at uh, reading a soil test and, and fixing things. And, and guys say, man, it's so interesting hearing you guys talk about this because you talk about the, the calcium and the magnesium and, and just how we fix some of these things starts right there with, hey, we've got a sodium issue. Here's how we can fix that. And then that's going to just lead to this chain reaction of good things as you start just making the, the first right decision, the next right decision. And, and that's really where a lot of these things start is what is the first right decision? And, and obviously, if we do have drainage, right, so we've got plenty of oxygen in the soil, that's a great thing. But then when we look at some of these big building blocks, like you're talking about calcium here, uh, it's super important. Calcium is how we get a lot of these nutrients into the plant. And if we don't have enough of it, enough of it out there, it's hard to get these things that are in the soil into the plant. Yeah. And I think the other thing, Darren, that, that everybody needs to know when you start talking about uh, these elements is, you know, a lot of, you know, we're, we're talking about getting calcium in the plant and all those kinds of things. But the other part of the, the equation that most people don't think about is we're talking about soil mechanics. You know, we've talked about soil chemistry a lot, but, you know, actually the soil mechanics, when you've got good calcium levels, and I'm talking about, you know, 68 to 70 plus percent calcium levels, and you get your magnesium levels down around 10 to 12, the soil mechanics work so much differently. You know, you, you get these high mag soils that, that uh, you know, they first off, they hold too much water, number one. So you never get enough oxygen in, the, in that, you know, in that uh, atmosphere. 
And then, you know, it, it doesn't want to, when it does finally dry and, and crack, it cracks like crazy. You know, you got, there's some cracks that you can lose an 18 inch crescent wrench down pretty easily, you know, goes to China almost, you know, but, but yeah, so there's the soil mechanics for me, that's that, that calcium magnesium situation really is important. And I don't think enough people think about that. No, that's, that's right. And then, you know, the other thing that I see a lot, Bo, is we get chasing these silver bullets. And, and I know as soon as you say silver bullet, everybody's like, oh, no, no, there's no silver bullets. Really? Then why are you putting on so much zinc? Or why are you putting on so much boron? Or it just seems like there's a flavor of the week micronutrient that lasts for maybe a year or two. And, and oh, we got to chase molybdenum. And guys do that for a few years. And then it people realize, well, that, that wasn't it. And so then it kind of goes away and then it's a new one that comes out. Why, why do we keep doing that? Because I I love the levels when we talk about Neil Kinsey and how he's, he's laid a lot of this stuff out for us with Dr. Albrecht's work. We need a certain amount of each one. It's not like one of them is going to be this magic potion. Yeah, exactly. You know, the deal is, is it's kind of like taking a family picture if you don't have the grandkids there, it's not a family picture, okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's kind of a strange <laughs> analogy, but you know, you know, but the deal is, yeah, it takes all of those things and yeah, there's there's no real silver bullet, but I tell you what, the the shiniest bullet, you know, in the holster is probably for me calcium. Because that require, you know, calcium is that building block that helps take all those things into account and, and helps you work off those other, you know, excesses. Anytime you have an excess of something, it's going to tie up something, you know. So that's the thing is you're just trying to use those use that silver bullet or that shiny bullet to try to reduce the excesses so that everything else can kind of come into, into balance. All right, last question I got for you, Bo. We got yes, about sir. one minute left. We look at a lot okay. of the vegetable production, and we get uh, emails from our listeners all the time that say, man, we've got to keep up with our micros. Otherwise, the nutrients in the vegetables aren't there, and we're going to have less nutritious food. Is that accurate? Is it if we don't get enough in the soil, we just don't have enough in the crop either? Well, you, you, shoot to, you, you, know, you try to get the stuff in the soil right, and we follow up with tissue analysis. And if we can't get that right, then, you know, we're going to go to foliars because, you know, those, all those elements that, that are so important for nutrition, they're also really important for uh, shelf life and, and the shipping ability and those kinds of things. I mean, you know, if you don't have reasonable calcium levels in lettuce, for instance, I mean, you put on a truck, go from Yuma, Arizona to, to New York City, it's not going to make it. You know, it's going to fall apart in the box. So, you know, you, those are those, you know, all those minor elements, you need to have those things in there for nutrition, but also for just shipping and things, too. Yeah, it's, it's a big, big deal. We're talking to Bo Shropshire out in California. Bo, happy new year to you. Really appreciate having you on today. Thanks once again. Hey, you betcha. No problem. You guys be good. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye-bye. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year. It's January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about micronutrients, and Brian, we kind of hit on a couple of things there with with lime, with micronutrients in the soil, and with just getting enough in the plants and how important that is. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And I, I think for a lot of us as farmers, we grew up hearing about NPK, NPK, NPK. Don't get me wrong. Those are super important, but you also have to take a look at the micronutrient side if you want to have top yields long-term. All right. Mentioned uh, mentioned Neil Kinsey and targeting certain levels of micros in the soil and in the plants earlier. And guess what? We've got Neil Kinsey on the show today as well. Neil, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on. Thank you, Darren. It's my pleasure. All right, so we're talking about micros today, and we just had Bo Shropshire on, and Bo said, you know what, if I had a shiny bullet in the tool belt, it would be calcium to try and help us get all these things in, and I know you're sure a big fan of what calcium could do in our soils and for our crops too. 
Well, yes, I am. Uh, calcium is necessary to get the micronutrients in, but there's a micronutrient necessary to get the calcium in too. You know, we didn't That's even boron. get we didn't get to that before, Neil. But but you're right. Boron is super critical to get calcium in, and we do have a lot of growers that are figuring that out. That man, by adding some boron to this equation, we do good. But I look at soil tests, Neil, and it seems like almost every soil test that we get is low in boron, unless we've got a drainage problem and they're too high. But most of the time, guys are too low. Why? Why is that? Why are we too low? And what do we do to fix it? Well, first of all, boron, just like uh, nitrate and sulfate uh, in the form the plant can use is borate, and it's easily leached, and uh, so it it's going to get away. We have to keep fighting in order to keep those levels up, just like we have to do for nitrogen and for sulfur. You know, with the boron, there are so many different forms of it, and I know for our farm we looked at doing some foliar treatments during the year. That was really expensive, Neil, as I'm sure you're well aware. And then we found some dry sources, and in our heavy ground where we're at in the west, uh, we could put on dry boron and get that into the plant, and it stuck around for us in our soils. Is that a, is that a good source in a lot of situations, or are there places where you'd say, no, you better be using the liquid if you have these types of soils or farm in this area? Actually, for the costs involved, we always recommend that the farmers use dry boron to the extent that they can. And then, uh, if that's not enough to reach the at least the minimum levels, which we have many places that it isn't, then we'll go ahead and use the foliar as well. But we try to encourage, even on light sandy soils, go ahead and put on the dry boron and then use the foliars as a trying to keep it up there or get it a little bit higher. All right. Now you mentioned that we need boron to get calcium into the plant and we need calcium to get all the other nutrients into the plant. So how much boron can we put on? And we've always heard about injury from boron. If we overdo it, how do we make it safer or how do we know it will be safe to apply higher rates of boron? What I like to do is encourage the, uh, growers to put the dry boron on with their dry fertilizer and broadcast it, if at all possible, uh, before planting. Then if we still don't get enough, and let's say you've got a boron level of 0.4 and you want to get for corn, for example, a minimum of, and you want to stay above 0.8 in order to get that to fill completely out to the end, well, uh, that's going to take four pounds of boron to get from 0 0.4 to 0 0.8. If you don't have really good calcium, that's taking a big chance. Uh, I've seen where boron would be added to the uh, fertilizer mix and broadcast at four pounds of boron to the acre. It works great as long as you've got good calcium. But if you don't have enough good, if you don't have enough calcium, say 60% or higher, and then you get three cool, damp days in a row, the same kind of situation where phosphate deficiency shows up. The first day, if it's a boron toxicity, and it's generally a phytotoxic problem. It's not a matter that if we get the boron on there and put four pounds on, that that's going to really cause us a big problem if we're deficient. It's just a matter, can the plant stand it while it's breaking down? First day, it'll turn yellow. Second, I'm sorry, first, yeah, first day, it'll turn yellow. Second day, it'll turn white. And if it's corn and it's cool and damp for three days and it sloughs off that last day, it's not going to come back. 
You can make it through the third day. Generally, you'll do fine. That that is interesting that that you say that. Just the observations and and how much you've seen of that. And then and Boron's when we get a lot of questions about. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about a couple other things. First of all, we've got you coming here uh, later on this winter to the Morton Center at Baltic. You've been doing this for a number of years. You always draw a huge crowd here. Uh, for for our listeners that are saying, okay, Neil's interesting. He's always got some good content. What kind of things or what, what would draw them to come to, to that meeting and what would they expect? Well, the meeting this year, if it goes as planned, we're going to look at something a little bit different, and that is looking at soils that have too much, dealing with excesses. And you can have soils that have extremely excessive calcium or magnesium or potassium or sodium. And in every case, the soil test will tell you what you need to do and even give you an idea of how much it will take. And then all you got to do is calculate how much is it going to take and is that going to cost so much? i got to spread it over several years or do I want to do it all at once? The more valuable the crop, the more chance somebody will want to do it all at once. But if we're talking corn, soybeans, and wheat, usually you spread it over a longer period of time. But you can take care of it, and it's and you can actually sit down and calculate what the extra cost is going to be, and that's what we're going to try to show this year. Yeah, I find that very that's interesting. You know, a lot of the a lot of the growers that we talk to say, "Man, uh, listening to Neil, I learned I got to put copper on uh, at least once every twenty years and get that built back up." With some of these micros, it it might just take one application over your farming career, maybe a couple different times of really addressing them to to get them back up to those levels. Uh, when when you look at those nutrients and you look at what it takes to be up to a sufficient level in the soil, or even an excellent level if if you're blessed with uh, everything that you need out there do you find most growers that you worked with for a period of time just saying you know what let's just do it all at once and and get us to those those really strong levels for the micronutrients unless you have some extremely serious deficiencies and there are places for example that uh, we'll have soils in southeast missouri that that will be put to grade they'll grade it out for uh, furrow irrigation or something and dig down deep and there'll be spots where it'll take 200 pounds plus of manganese sulfate before you ever get to the minimum and in those kind of cases uh, we don't advise that they put it on all at once unless uh, you're growing wine grapes or something of that nature but uh, for the most part yes uh, micronutrients don't really cost that much and when you get them where they need to be boron's the one you got to watch all the time and the next one that would tend to get away fastest would be zinc. We find that in general, every once we get the zinc to where we want it to be, in general, every five to seven years, you're probably going to have to put on another 10 pounds of zinc sulfate. But uh, once zinc's up there, it's not hard to keep there. Once copper's there, it's really easy to keep. Manganese, it depends on the soil. Most soils... You can build your manganese up, and it will stay for a long time. But there are certain type soils that we just say eat the manganese, and about every two or three years, you come got to come back and build it back up again. But that depends on that depends on a number of things, and generally, the the soils that really have problems keeping the manganese are tight, waterlogged soils, or the old yellow clay soils, at least in our area. The yellow clay soils are the one that will generally tend to be extremely low in manganese, and it takes a substantial amount of money to get them up just to the minimum. 
Yeah, there's a lot to learn there, and we've got Neil coming to Baltic, South Dakota, to the Morton Center here on the Ag PhD field. They decided to do a three-day clinic. Uh, it's always entertaining to to hear, and it's always so profitable for our farm just to pick up on some of these little details uh, with all of Neil's years of experience. Uh, he's worked with so many growers to help them turn soils around. Hopefully, uh, uh, you bring you some soil samples if you come to the clinic as well, so Neil and uh, the team can take a look at some of those and help you too. Neil, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. And we'll talk more about micronutrients coming up right after this. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13for13 at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. 
just talking about soil and plant micronutrient issues. Again, if you've got any questions for us, just call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. I, I guess just a, a few things I wanted to leave you with on the micronutrient side. Number one is we'd really highly encourage you to do soil testing on your farm. Then you're going to be able to identify where you have micronutrient problems. I would also like to see you doing some plant tissue analysis. So that will hopefully verify what you're finding in the soil is actually getting into the plant. But the main micronutrients that we're typically talking about are zinc, manganese, copper, boron, and iron. So I'll give you one thing on each. Zinc. We like the phosphorus to zinc ratio. With the tests we've been running, uh, it about 10 to 1. The reason why I, I am very confident in that is we've got years of data now with lots of grid soil sample points comparing those to yield. And what we found is you start getting that phosphorus to zinc ratio way too low or way too high, yield goes down. Our best yields are when the phosphorus to zinc ratio is somewhere around 10 to 1. It doesn't have to be exactly that. But just in that general ballpark, that's, in my opinion anymore, even more important than just saying, well, I have five parts per million of zinc, so I'm in good shape. Maybe, but if you get really high phosphorus levels, you're not. Or if you have really low phosphorus levels, you're not. I, 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 along with that, keep in mind that your crop, whatever crop it is, is going to suck way more phosphorus out in terms of parts per million and pounds per acre than it is zinc. So you might say, oh, my phosphorus levels are really high, and so I'm matching up my zinc to that. Okay, that's fine, but do you have a plan to keep your phosphorus levels that high? Because this year especially, a lot of people I've talked to have said, oh, I've got really high phosphorus levels, so I'm going to start, I'm just going to mine some out this year. Okay, well, if you had your ratio right before, it's not going to be right now. All right, with manganese, I'd say use the Malik 3 test. With the DTPA test, we just have not found correlation to yield. The Malik 3 test, it registers, we believe, more accurately. With the DTPA test, what we're finding is the levels are always low if your pH is high. I don't care if I got 1,000 pounds out there. It's still showing low. So if you're, and by high, I just mean like literally above seven, which seven, seven and a half, we're still able to get fantastic yields, but we're not able to register a decent manganese level. All right, copper, there's also a phosphorus to copper ratio. And we discovered this also by accident because we're like, hey, one year copper, more copper pays. And the next year, oh, now this year, less copper pays. Well, why is that? Well, we cut back on phosphorus one year, and then that really caused a problem for us with our ratio. Our ratio got out of whack. It's somewhere around 30 to 1 for us, phosphorus to copper, so you can look on your farm. All right, with boron, it's leachable, so you need a little bit of boron each and every year, most likely. Doesn't take much. Might be a dollar. Might be three dollars. It doesn't take much. Once you get your levels up there, you just have to keep spoon-feeding it as you go in heavy soils. Uh, if you have light soils, you're never going to be able to get your level way up there. You just have to constantly be applying boron at very small doses to feed the plant. And then finally, iron. 
iron is really important for green color in the plant. And so this is one of the things where sometimes you look at your corn and you go, ah, it looks yellow. It must need more nitrogen. Maybe, maybe it just needs some more iron. We oftentimes can green up plants by having adequate iron levels out there. So just something for you to be thinking about. But all these things are important nutrients. And the good news is you don't have to spend a fortune to provide adequate micronutrient levels for all your crops. All right, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, this one comes from Cody. And he said, in in our area... Everybody likes to lay the sulfentrazone or authority and metribuzin on top of the ground and not incorporate it. Okay. I've been doing conventional tillage, so I've been using trifluralin on all my acres the last five years, and it's worked well. I did 160-acre field with trifluralin, sulfentrazone, metribuzin, worked all three of them in, mm-hmm. and it worked well. Yeah, I'm just curious about any issues you've seen incorporating sulfentrazone and metribuzin it's just not done in this area but i know that it is labeled what's sure. been your experience yeah works great we do it ourselves the reason the two reasons why some people really are adamant that boy i want to lay it on the soil surface is number 1 they get good burn down both authority and metribuzin are pretty good at burning down a lot of weeds that are already standing so if let's say you're in a no till or strip till situation you get burned down The other reason why a lot of people don't like to incorporate is they worry they're going to bury it. And I just always tell people, incorporate lightly and go as fast as you can. So seven or eight miles an hour with a field cultivator, that's great. But we like incorporation because now you've placed the authority and metribuzin down into the root zone, seed zone, shoot zone. It's in the soil where it needs to be. Now it's going to take less moisture to get activated. So yeah, we actually prefer incorporating it, but it can work fine the other way too. just requires a little more rain. All right. Uh, Got this one from Mark up in Ontario, Canada, and he said, you guys are talking about high-yielding corn recently. Uh, We're in a three-year rotation, corn, soybeans, and wheat. Lots of our fields get hog manure, and what we find works for us is utilizing fungicide in our corn. We've been going out around V5 with Quadris, or or, I'm sorry, with Trivapro, and then we're coming back with Miravis Neo later and adding some Foliar K, and that Foliar K has been costing four or five bucks an acre, but gaining us six to seven bushels. Like the two-shot fungicide program, just kind of curious what you guys think. And also, uh, we feel having decent testing soils due to the manure certainly helps us with the yield as well. Yeah, I'm sure they're decent testing. But if you're still getting that much response from a foliar K, I'm wondering if your soil K levels aren't too low. Look at your base saturation figure. If it's not at least 4%, your soil levels are too low. So I know it seems weird, but very commonly... We, we still run into issues with manure where people don't have enough uh, enough fertility. Darren and I were just talking about this this morning. It's very often the next generation that benefits from somebody who way overdoes it on manure because if you way overdo it on manure, you build up all these nutrient levels, which is great, but then you have too much salt. And it takes time to get that salt out of the profile. Well, a lot of the nutrients then are still there. So that's great. In your case, I'm guessing that you are trying not to overdo it on salt, which is our recommendation too. But when you're not overdoing it on salt, you're probably not building that K level super high with hog manure. Usually hog manure has more phosphorus, less K, and 
So that's my guess. I'd like to see your soil test, but that's my assumption. And on the fungicide end of things, it's great that you're finding that works. We do some of that ourselves on our farm. We've actually started pushing our V5 closer to V8 or V9, and we think we're getting a little more response, but it might vary depending on the year too. All right, Brian, get a number of questions. We were talking about township roads and ditches. Alan asks, how wide is the right-of-way in South Dakota? In Iowa, say 100 feet is not allowed to plant crops in. By looking at the video, uh, it looks like you guys farm closer in your state. Is it like that all over and just or just in some areas? Ooh, I don't know what the actual right-of-way is like for our township, but I'll look that up quick. Or at least I'm going to measure it you out. You know, it's it's interesting. We were just talking about this uh, today, not Brian and me, but I was talking with a couple of agronomists. We were looking at, at some field maps that uh, growers a couple hundred miles away from our farm were showing us. And there is a railroad that ran right in between, right through the middle of, basically through the middle of their field. They farmed on both sides of it. And they were farming very close to that railroad. And I, I had a similar question, not about a township road and ditch, but but a railway. I, I was like, boy, we've got to stay way back from the railway in our area. Looks this, this was in a different area, but I'm not sure. Yep. It should be the same there, too. 66 feet. Yeah, I think I remember that. It was 33 feet from the center going out to each side. I think that's what our dad always talked to us about. But, yeah, that's that's about where we're at is about 66 feet from one field to the other. The road and the ditches are in the middle. Okay, I got a few more questions about the, the ditches and right-of-ways. We'll dive into those and take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. You work for results. 
That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. And we are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. So if you have an agronomic question, you can email us, radio at agphd.com, or give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, got uh, an email. This is from uh, Jesse and Seth up in North Dakota. And they said, we've got some soil samples we're sending you. We're working with uh, another farmer here who's struggling to produce good soybeans. Just wondering what you would do here. He's wondering if there's a remedy to fix high levels of carbonates in the soil. Uh, He said the only thing he's done recently, they're a little different than others. He did put 10 tons of spent sugar beet lime out there a couple years ago. Sure. So there's a drainage problem here. Let, let me start by saying this. The cation exchange capacity is in the range of 37 to 42. So it's really heavy soil. Now, those figures are overstated. And the reason why I say that is because you have ridiculously high levels of calcium and magnesium. So really, if you ran the right calculations, you'd find that cation exchange capacity, just guessing off the top of my head, is probably around 30 32, something like that. But even so, that's still really heavy soil. The problem is drainage. The number one issue is drainage. All the leachables are not draining out. The carbonate's still there, yes, but look at all these other leachables. Your boron's off the charts, your sulfur's off the charts, your nitrate's off the charts. All the things that should leach, they're not because you don't have good drainage. Now, what I'm telling you here isn't going to make you super happy because I'm going to suggest that you invest lots of dollars into your ground in tile. And then the next thing I'm going to suggest you do is build your K K levels. You have 0.6 to 0.8% base saturation K. I I wouldn't expect more than about 30 or maybe at best 40 bushel beans on that kind of low level of K. And you might look at, oh, I have 137 parts per million or whatever, 138. Yeah. It's, It's not enough. You're not even close because of your ratios of K to magnesium and calcium, which again are off the charts. And if you don't believe that, just do plant tissue analysis. If you do plant tissue analysis all season long, every single week, you'll find that almost every week of the year, your plant will be way short on K, especially when it needs it most, right when it's flowering and potting. So number one, I'd invest in drainage. Let's let's just say that I owned this ground. let's, Let's just say I just bought this ground. What would I do? I'd invest in drain tile number one. My second dollar spent, or a lot more than the second dollar. But anyway, the second thing I would spend money on is what I'm trying to say. It would absolutely be in potassium. You fix those two things, and it's going to take care of a lot of problems in your field. Those are the two reasons why your soybean yield, the two biggest reasons why your soybean yields are not good. 
And unfortunately, what I'm suggesting here, it's probably $2,000 an acre. $1,500 for tile to pattern tile it, and $500 on K. Not doesn't have to be all in one shot, but I'm just saying over, let's say, a three-year period or something to get your K levels up. you got to get it up to at least 4% base saturation K, and that's probably going to cost you $500, bucks, whether you want to do it in one shot or over three years or whatever. And I, I know it stinks, but the good news is, like with the K and that heavy soil, it's never leaching out. Never, ever, ever leaching out. So you will just get your K levels up, get them in ratio with everything else, just like we were talking earlier in the show with your ratios of phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper. Get the, get the ratios right, and now you're going to reap the rewards. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, I got a real quick one here, then we'll get back to the phone lines. George just said, hey, I'm putting together my nitrogen plan for my corn, shooting for 180 bushel corn. My lab recommends I put on 178 actual units of N, but I have 5.2% organic matter, and I don't think they're taking that into account. I've heard nope. you guys talk about figuring 20 to 30 pounds of N yep. per 1% of organic from? matter. I'm in North Dakota. I'm curious, okay. how would you calculate this? Okay. In North Dakota, I'd figure maybe a little less. Let's say you figured even 15. Well, 15 times 5% organic matter, that's 75 pounds. So, and we know, let's see, if you pull up corn, because a lot of people are like, oh, corn, some some corns need 1.2 pounds of N and some need 0.8. No, that is absolutely not true. They all need the same amount. So if you look at the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, for example, I'm just pulling that up right now, and I'm, I'm pulling up corn and one bushel of corn. What's it take to produce one bushel of corn? Here's exactly what you need for nitrogen, 1.12. Now, that's not figuring in any leaching. That's not figuring in any tie-up. Okay, So you have to keep those two things in mind, basically loss. Uh, but yeah, you have to figure that organic matter, and I'm figuring at least 15 pounds in North Dakota that you're going to get. That's 75 pounds. So I also don't know what you had for carryover in. We had some fields this year that had 300 pounds of carryover in, even after 200 bushel corn. I don't know why, but we did. So thank goodness we tested because it saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars in nitrogen expense on our farm. Soil test, please. Your 180 bushel corn needs 202 total pounds. If you had zero loss, let's say you have 60 pounds left from last year, you got 75 coming out of the soil organic matter, that's 135. What I'm telling you is you only need 67 pounds applied, and you should be in good shape. But I might start with the 67 if it's heavy soil, and I might do a pre-cidrus nitrate test, and if I need more, I can always add it in season. All right, thanks for the question, George. Uh Let's head over to Iowa. We've got Dan on with us right now. Dan, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Good. Good. What can we do for you? Hey, good question. So I'm comparing a Malik 3 from Midwest to Neil samples. Just a little comparison on, on a half a dozen points here. So and a few things jumped out to me, and I'm just kind of curious on your guys' thoughts on it. So on Midwest, the Malik 3, the percent hydrogen is 10.5 points higher um, on that test, which rotates to a half a point lower on pH. And that seemed kind of high to me. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is that normal? No. No, we've done a lot of tests comparing Midwest Labs to Neil Kinsey's tests. And typically, the pH is right there. 
wouldn't you say, Darren? We've, yeah, we've done a bunch of that stuff even on ground of yours. It's Well, it's going to be interesting because Neil's going to talk more about excesses this this uh, winter when he comes up here for his workshop. And one of the things that he'll say is if there's something else out of whack, sometimes that throws some of these results off where he does the yeah, calcium but, displacement yeah, test. No, no, that's more to, to do with the cation exchange capacity. Having the pH off by half a point just doesn't sound right. So, okay, because the comparison for percent calcium is only off by four, two to four percent, you know, over all the samples that I tested. But really, yeah. the two big things was the percent nitrogen was ten and a half points or ten and a half percent, and the nitrogen was almost forty-one pounds per acre difference on the male at three versus Neil. Um, now, one of the things with Neil's tests, he's typically done pounds per acre, whereas Midwest Labs does parts per million. So basically, I have to take the parts per million times two. So I just want to make sure we're talking apples to apples. And my other question is, did you take a sample and split it in two? And so I just want to make sure we're talking about the exact same sample, correct? Yep, good point. So yes, I did my Midwest sample, and then I did my Neil sample immediately after taking that Midwest sample. And then... I did convert all the units back to the same measurement. Gotcha. As well. Good point. Now, wait, but but you said you sent a Neil test in. So, in other words, did you sample it separately, or was this were these sampled at the same time? They were at the same physical time in the field, but Got it. I did my Midwest sample first, and then I took my Neil sample. But I mailed everything at the same time. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure we just took the sample, split it, because if it's not mixed well, if you're in a even slightly different spot, it's possible for there to be differences. But yes, I would say that's very unusual because typically when we send, because we've done a whole bunch of this, and we'll talk about this a little bit at our soils clinic coming up next month too, where we've done these comparisons where we send something into Midwest or somebody else, and we send it in a Neil. The pH is the one thing that's almost always very consistent. But there are different types of pH pHs that can be run. There's water pH and there's a salt pH. So you have to make sure that that's the same too. So you might just want to double check with both labs to make sure they both ran water pH or that they both ran salt pH. And it might say on your tests, I don't know, but that could be a potential difference. Okay. Good point. Thanks guys. I appreciate the show. You bet. Thanks Dan. Yeah, thanks for sharing what you're doing too, Dan. That's uh, that's really good. There's a lot of listeners that that are always kind of wondering what what everybody else is doing. They like to hear those kinds of things too. Uh, speaking about what everybody else is doing, Brian, back on this township road thing, man, we didn't realize what kind of a, a discussion was going to get going. Brian sends in a comment. He said, "Not not Brian Hefty, but another Brian." He said, "Townships wanting landowners to take care of the roadside might be different in other states." And we get a comment from Robert. He said, I've always wondered why the Midwest farmers mowed the road ditches. I asked a few people, never really got an answer. I'm on the East Coast, and the farmer does not take care of the roadsides. Uh, but we also don't have ditches and wide shoulders like you do. And then Jay sends back a comment. He says, well, we've got a few roads technically maintained by the township, but we do most of the maintenance because we're generally the ones using the road. <laughs> yep. So a very interesting conversation. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.